Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. So friends, there once was a man named Job. He was upright and blameless before God and others. He loved God and he honored God. The start of the book of Job tells us that Job had many, many blessings. He had a wonderful family. He had great health. He had a house. He had much land and livestock. Job was rich and prosperous. And again, he loved and honored God. God apparently was in heaven and gathered angels around God. And one of those there in God's courts was a figure named the accuser. In Hebrew, it's Hasatan. The accuser seems to be one of God's functionaries who moves around the earth to see if people really are honoring God. God is proud of Job and grateful for Job's love for God. He boasts about Job's loyalty, and the accuser, Hasatan, says to God, well, of course, Job loves you because, look, his life is perfect. But if you will allow me, O oh God, to take away all of these things, take away his family, his home, his health, his prosperous riches, I guarantee you, God, Job will curse you. So in some kind of a cosmic deal, God says to Hasatan, the accuser, all right, I'll allow it. You go ahead. And the accuser does take away everything from Job. And Job loses his children, his land, his home, his own health, his livestock, even his friends. And that's where we are with Job. In chapter 23, verses 1 through 9 and 16 to 17, Listen for this, the word of God for us today. Then Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. God's hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I might know where I would find God, that I might come even to God's own dwelling I would lay out my case before God and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn what God would answer me, and I understand what God would say to me. Would God contend with me in the greatness of God's power? No, but God would heed me. There's an upright person could reason with God and I should be acquitted by my judge. If I go forward, God is not there. And backward, I do not perceive God. On the left, God hides, and I cannot behold God. I turn to the right, but I cannot see God. 
God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. If only I could vanish in darkness and thick darkness would cover my face. In the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his despair, the loss of everything Job holds dear, Job cries out and says, if only I could vanish in darkness and thick darkness would cover my face. For Job, God is absent. Some of us have experienced this. Some of us are struggling with that now. And I'm not just talking about last Sunday's Super Bowl. Some of us know truly deeply what it feels like when God is absent. Over 500 years ago, St. John of the Cross struggled and called this the dark night of the soul. It is a deep and wrenching struggle with the absence of God. For some, it is brought on by a devastating illness. For others, a betrayal in a relationship or a losing battle with an addiction or just a dryness of one's own faith, a deadening of one's own soul. For me, my first and deepest dark night of the soul happened when I was in seminary. Interesting how that occurs. Here I was studying every single day about the nature of God and God's love for us. I made my way to class there at McCormick Seminary in Chicago. It was like now, the deep of winter. I sat down and a, a friend next to me leaned over and and she said, did you hear about the accident this morning on 55th Street? And I, I said, no, I didn't. I come from the opposite side. 55th Street is the major road in front of McCormick Seminary. Um, it's a busy thoroughfare. There are two lanes in either direction. You know, in the Apostles' Creed, when we say that Jesus will come to judge the quick and the dead, we've always talked about how that was actually 55th Street because when you're trying to cross 55th Street, if you're not quick, you will be dead. It was always a busy street, and there weren't that many lights to help those of us trying to cross. My friend told me that apparently that morning early, a kid was getting ready to go to school he didn't see a car coming. He ran out into the street and was killed. I thought, oh, no, gosh. I sort of carried that with me through the rest of the day. The next morning, I was reading the Chicago Tribune, and the Metro section actually featured a story about this kid who was killed right in front of our seminary. His name was Robert. He was 16 years old, a junior in high school. Robert grew up in the Robert Taylor Homes housing project, a few miles away from the seminary on the south side of Chicago. 
Robert Taylor Holmes was notorious for being gang-ridden with violence, drug-infested. Even the police wouldn't come into Robert Taylor Holmes after dark. Robert was a good student in middle school. He applied and got accepted to a special high school in the city of Chicago, a college prep high school that was across town. He had to take two buses and a train to get there. When he was a freshman, he moved out of his house, leaving his mom and little sister there in Robert Taylor Holmes. He moved in with his grandmother, who lived not too far away from 55th Street, close to the seminary in an apartment building. He'd been sleeping on her floor in the living room for almost three years. He knew he had to get away from the gangs to survive. He was a good student. He had a part-time job to help support his mom and little sister and to help pay some of the rent for his grandmother. Apparently, He'd overslept that morning because he'd been up past midnight doing his homework after he got home from his part-time job. He was rushing to get out of the apartment. His grandmother insisted that he had to have some food. So she made him sit down and she made him eat. And that made him a little bit later. He was running out of the apartment building, getting his backpack on his back with all of his books and papers. Then he saw the city bus pulling up to his bus stop across the street. 5.30 in the morning, pitch dark on a Chicago winter. He didn't see the car coming on his side of the street. He darted out before he could see the car. And he was hit. He died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. I walked out of my classroom later on that day and walked down 55th Street to see if I could find out where he had been. It was easy to find. There was already a collection of flowers and stuffed animals and cards, a beautiful picture of this handsome young man, a couple balloons. I just stood there and read the notes this lovely woman came and stood next to me. She shook her head and she said, it's so sad. He was such a good boy. I said, I'm sure he was. I walked back to my apartment on the way I passed our seminary. I decided to go into the chapel there just to be quiet. There was nobody else around now. I recall sitting in the chapel, looking at the cross at the front of the chapel. I remember saying out loud, Okay, God, I'm here at seminary. I'm doing my best to understand you. So, what? R really? What, God? He was 16 years old. He was making every right choice. 
He was sleeping on the floor of his grandmother's one-bedroom apartment in the living room for three years because he knew he couldn't live with his mom and little sister anymore. He wanted to go to college. He wanted to be the first person in his family to go to college. Do you know, God, what he wanted to do? It says he wanted to be a teacher and a coach. He wanted to be a teacher, God. So, come on, come on. How hard would it have been just, just to wake him up a little bit earlier? Or, or maybe you could have delayed that city bus just a few minutes, just a few minutes. Don't you understand? We're trying to live here. We're trying to survive. What's wrong with you? Aren't you even there? What I remember is I didn't hear anything. What I remember is just sitting there in the chapel in the dark, waiting. I didn't hear anything. The next few days, I recall just being like a fog. I was going to class, studying, trying to read. But in the depth of my soul, I was wondering why I was even doing this. What was the point? That friend in class who told me about the accident, Robert being killed, she knew I was struggling. And she found out when his service was. And she reached out to me and she said, I think you need to go with me. And I told her I didn't want to go. And she said, no, I think, Roger, you need to go. So we went to the church. The place was packed. The pastor got up and he said some amazing and powerful words. Then some of his friends, Robert's friends, testified. And then his mom talked about how beautiful he was. His little sister even shared. And then his grandmother got up. She talked about how proud she was of him, how much she missed him, how sitting in her living room she could envision him laying there on that mattress on the floor, how she wished she hadn't made him get some food in his stomach, how she felt guilty. But then in the next breath, in the next breath, she talked about how, how amazing it was that God was lifting her up. In the next breath, she talked about how Jesus was right next to her in that moment. She could feel him right there, and she knew that her grandson was with Jesus. She knew that in the moment of his dying, God wrapped God's arms around her grandson, and she knew she was going to see him again. She said, I know that to be true. 
And then, in the best of the black church tradition, she got us all up on our feet, and she got us to sing. And the choir got up on their feet, and we started to sing. St. John of the Cross, who struggled with this dark night of the soul over his lifetime, he wrote that he believed even the struggle itself honored God because even in God's absence, his perception of God's absence, he was still seeking God. Job gets it wrong. Job gets it wrong when he blames God for what has happened to him. I do not believe that God causes suffering or pain or illness or addiction or pandemics or sadness. I don't think God causes that. But in a mystery that is unknown to me, I do believe that God allows sadness and illness and suffering and death and pain. I don't think God causes this, but I think God allows it. Why is part of the mystery to me? But I've come to this. I think one of the reasons that God allows this to happen is that God loves us so much that God respects and honors our ability to choose. You see, if cancer never came to Christians, then everyone would be a Christian, not out of genuine love for God, but out of fear of cancer. And a love that is based on fear is not love at all. I think God allows suffering, does not cause it, but allows it because God wants us to be free to choose. I think God honors us too much to be manipulative or to be coercive. I do not think we serve a God of manipulation or coercion. I am convinced we serve a God of love. And that in this mystery of God, God allows pain and suffering, even death. St. John of the Cross says that even in that suffering, when we engage and cry out to God, God is there, whether we perceive it or not. When Job says, I look ahead and God is not there, I look behind, I do not perceive God, I look to the left and God hides from me, I look to the right and I cannot see God, even though there are times when we cannot see God or we believe that God is absent, I am convinced that God is there. And when we cry out to God, even that is a relationship with God, and I think St. John of the Cross is right that we are honoring God in that moment. Friends, 
After Robert's grandmother shared her testimony, she had the courage and the faith to lead the whole church in singing. And her voice and the voices of the choir, they lifted us all. Job gets it wrong when he blames God. But Job gets it absolutely right when he complains and stays in relationship with God's own self. So when the pain cuts you deep and the night keeps you from sleeping, when the world seems so cruel, believe this. God is still there. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.